If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Diane Simmons, Chief Learning Officer for the American Academy of Dermatology. This is one of a number of episodes we have planned with people in that CLO role. But before we get to uh, that conversation with Diane, I want to be sure to highlight our annual Leading Learning Symposium. This is an event designed specifically for senior leaders at organizations in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. The symposium takes place this year on October 24th and 25th in Baltimore. We have a great group coming together for it. So if you want to find out what the symposium is all about and see the great things that last year's attendees had to say about it, you can go to the event website at symposium.leadinglearning.com. We'd also like to thank Com Partners, makers of the Elevate Learning Platform, for being the sponsor for this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. You can find out more about Com Partners at compartners.com. Now, Jeff, you had the chance to talk with Diane Simmons, who is not only the CLO of the American Academy of Dermatology, but also a, a two-time advisor for the Leading Learning Symposium. That's right. We've known Diane for, for many years. Um, she's somebody we think very highly of, which is you know why we have her involved as an advisor for the symposium. And she really has a, a very diverse background as an association executive. She's uh, worked at a, at a range of different organizations in, in a learning role and in an executive role. Um, a lot of that's been in healthcare, nursing, healthcare, finance. Uh, but more recently, she's come to the uh, American Academy of Dermatology, so a you know dyed in the wool medical society. And, and we talk quite a bit about uh, continue education in the, the medical field and how that um, differs uh, from other areas and, and perhaps um, is, is a beacon for uh, other areas in, in terms of what they might consider doing with lifelong learning. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, this is a plan for multiple conversations with people in that chief learning officer role. And we've already talked with uh, Kelly Palmer of Degree, so a CLO in, in a bit more of a, a corporate environment. Um, Diane is, of course, in, in the association environment. And one of the topics uh, that we covered is, you know, why we don't see more CLO-type uh, roles in associations. Our own research has shown that uh, less than half of organizations have somebody, whether it's with a CLO title or not, but have somebody in an executive role whose primary focus is learning and education. Uh, just not seeing as much of that as, as, as we would certainly think you would at this point. So that's one of the things that, um, that I discussed with Diane. And then, of course, just you know her perspective on what's going on on out there in the new learning landscape. And as always, she's just a, a very insightful and interesting person to talk to. Well, excellent. Let's have a listen to what Diane has to say. Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Diane Simmons, who is the Chief Learning Officer from the American Academy of Dermatology. Diane, welcome to Leading Learning. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. And um, you know, as, as we always do, uh, we know that you're going to be able to tell folks better who you are and, and what you do than, than we can. So I'll ask you, can you tell us just a little bit about um, the American Academy of Dermatology, who you serve, and, and, and what you do there in that chief learning officer role? 
Sure. Let me give you just a little bit of an overview. The American Academy of Dermatology represents practicing dermatologists and others who um, uh, participate in this space uh, throughout the uh, U.S., although we are starting to get a little bit more of an international exposure. There's about 19,000 members. We have a very high uh, penetration rate uh, in terms of membership and an extremely high retention rate for uh, dermatologists, um, like about 90% uh, or higher uh, tend to retain their membership. It's interesting that that when uh, probably like many other associations, when you survey members about their um, uh, number one benefit of being involved with an association, they talk about professional development, um, uh, education resources, and other uh, tools that help them uh, practice better uh, in their in their field. Um, it's a pretty traditional portfolio um, at the moment, although we've done some innovative things around uh, online education and app development. For our members, uh, we do a, kind of a blend of event-based learning and digital strategies and beginning to really shift that balance to more digital strategies and responding to uh, what seems to be a preference for just-in-time learning and uh, quick uh, bite-sized chunks of information. Um, The the, the specialty is um, interesting in that uh, most of the, uh, the folks who practice in this area are board certified, which is uh, adds another layer of complexity in terms of our uh, education design, but also is beginning to represent a broader care team approach. So other practitioners who uh, have a need for information in uh, on dermatologic conditions and those activities outside of traditional practice. So it's it's broadening in its scope. And now I know you know you're you're pretty recent uh, to um, the American Academy of Dermatology. You've, you've had really a pretty diverse background. I know you've worked with nursing associations. I believe you did that you know through working for an association management company. You and I have known each other for quite a while. You were at the Healthcare Financial Management Association uh, when I met you. So. What common threads have you seen run through all of the roles that you're, you're, you've served, particularly with the, from the perspective of learning and education? Well, I think that the thread that's that's been there consistently and continues to be there is the, um, you know, the privilege we have really of working with people in uh, professional associations, and that is we get to work with the best and the brightest. We get to work with people who are truly committed to lifelong learning, people who have a need for education, who really want to um, advance their practice, who want to uh, be better at what they do, and that's that's true pretty much across the board um, as I think about uh, the, the various groups that I've worked for that that's really pretty much at the uh, sort of baseline for uh, for most of those groups so that piece is pretty consistent there's some unique challenges with each different group uh, what I'm finding with uh, working with a medical specialty or all of the sort of external regulatory and certification requirements that uh, that impact on practice and in an evolving healthcare arena, which has been the focus of my my work um, uh, throughout my career, uh, 
it's it's a pretty challenging time. Of course, we say that with every every new change that's introduced in healthcare, but uh, it really is creating some unique um, challenges and I think some unique opportunities in terms of how we think about learning and and how we think about what people need to practice at the top of their game. And. I've always had the the sense as somebody who's you know worked with a lot of medical societies that um, in some ways I, I think of the the medical world as almost being ahead of the rest of the world and how they think about continuing education. And I say that because of, you know, concepts like maintenance of certification, performance improvement, um, the emphasis on quality assurance. I mean, has that been your perspective coming into this world that, that maybe the, the medical world is sort of leading uh, the, or at the cutting edge of continuing education? Well, um, that's an interesting perspective. I, I, I've, I've found that there are also some very traditional ways in which um, uh, people expect to, uh, to, to to get education. I, you know, one of the things that I think is true about medical societies, because they're so scientifically based, they're very used to a very traditional format in terms of education. Mm-hmm. So breaking out of that a little bit is, is a little bit challenging. But I think as a profession by and large, they really have uh, adopted some pretty rigorous standards that have to do with uh, certification and um, recertification. And, you know, these are very high-stakes um, professions, so the public good is certainly uh, of utmost consideration. Now, there's also a, a great degree of um, uh, concern and dissatisfaction and angst about the whole recertification process. But at its core, it really does attempt to self-regulate the profession. That's what it's all about. Uh, and um, uh, to do that based on some objective standards and, um, um, you know, sort of make, ensuring that practitioners are really uh, continuing to stay relevant in, in that field. Yeah. And I guess that's probably what I have in mind is just uh, aspiring to that very high standard and, and trying mm-hmm. to come up with some ways to set that standard. But like you said, some of the actual practices in terms of how education is delivered yep. in particular, still very, very traditional, uh, mm-hmm. definitely. Now, now tell me, we, we discussed a little bit before we got on the call that, um, you know, you just don't encounter the title chief learning officer all that often in the association world. In fact, I'm kind of surprised we don't encounter more than than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, did that role exist at uh, at the academy before you got there, or did they create that for you? That it, it did not exist, um, and I'd like to think they created it specifically for me, but they created it, um, uh, and and then um, uh, we're in search of, of that qualification. Here's here's the the difference, at least in my mind, and and I think the way that the academy leadership um, uh, is looking at this, and that is. We need to expand our vision of what professional development really is within Mm. associations and to look for ways in which learning occurs that may not be attached to a product which I believe is education. So as we think about education, we tend to think about it in terms of a product, a program, or a a thing. Uh, and um, we're, we're really trying to push that envelope to really acknowledge learning occurs in lots of different ways and really focus more on uh, on those, those kinds of opportunities. Um, we clearly still have a portfolio that's balanced with uh, traditional education, but but um, uh, are beginning to expand out into other arenas that aren't 
that aren't quite as traditional and yet seem to be resonating um, pretty well. I, the, the role um, for that that's been described, um, the evolution described to me here, uh, what they were attempting to do, and and hopefully we're uh, we're making soon inroads here, is to really look at uh, focusing this position um, on strategy development and planning uh, to be much more strategic in terms of how we're identifying the educational needs and preferences of our members uh, to be able to communicate at a at a at a level that's consistent with um, other um, uh, executives uh, within the space and and also to be you know kind of the the, the leader if you will for um, uh, the both the staff and the subject matter experts that um, that need to collaborate in different ways to uh, to to begin expanding the portfolio, and I mean that's great that uh, that the academy is has taken that perspective and has actually put it into action by you know creating the role and then and then find, finding a great person to uh, to fill that role. Why is it that, from your perspective, and as somebody who obviously has spent a lot of time in the association world? Why don't you think there are more of these positions, chief learning officer, or even for that matter, just executives whose primary focus is learning, regardless of whether they have the CLO title or not? Well, that's a good question, um, and and I, uh, you know, I think this um, this notion of thinking about um, education as a product um, may not be serving us well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, if we could, you know, even within our uh, sort of within our colleagues and our peers, begin talking about it uh, more as learning um, uh, learning propositions. I think we may begin moving that dial uh, a little bit to look at those, uh, look at some different opportunities. You know, as I mentioned earlier in my in my introduction, you know, our two primary strategic um, priorities for the uh, uh, for the foreseeable future are number one to expand the portfolio of educational offerings, so to continue to look at those uh, programs and services, and then secondly to expand our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we we feel that there is opportunity and need for us to be uh, recognized as the um, experts in um, in some other arenas and to do that in a in a pragmatic and um, and and focused kind of way well I think I mean we've we've obviously talked about these topics uh, quite a bit and, and I think uh, mm-hmm. see them in, in, in similar ways um, I, I'm wondering you know as you talk to others out there that you know your, your peers out there in the in the association world um, what are you seeing? people struggling with, with most? Uh, I mean, you talked about, you know, learning as product and kind of getting over that. Um, I mean, are there other things as we, as we you know, talk about this new learning landscape that we're, that we're all operating mm-hmm. in? What, what do you see people really struggling with? Well, um, there's a lot. Resources are always an issue um, in terms of, and, and it's always intriguing to me because, you know, when you're a hammer, hammer, everything looks like a nail. But, you know, if you survey every professional association out there, I would suspect that the number one 
um, uh, reason that most members would cite for belonging to an association is for access to learning resources, whether that's education or however they describe that. And yet, oftentimes, they're the least resourced mm-hmm. area in the organization, which, you know, right, right. <laughs> there's a little bit of a disconnect there, right? So Definitely. if this is our number one reason for being, then... <laughs> so I, I, I think there, you know, I, I continually hear about um, resource issues. And, and I think, and again, this is um, partly from my recent experience, but I think there's still that dynamic tension between um, the the traditionalists in terms of how uh, education is developed and delivered and those who are um, uh, able and willing to experiment a bit and, you know, push the envelope in, in some different directions. So there's always that kind of dynamic tension uh, between the two. And, you know, as we all know, working in associations, one of the greatest resources we have are our members and one of our greatest barriers are our members right. sometimes in, in, in embracing change. And um, uh, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, you know, I oftentimes think, and especially I think in healthcare right now that is so chaotic and crazy, people come to their association for a sense of normalcy. So, uh, you know, they, they want predictability. They want, uh, you know, the, the annual meeting to happen the way the annual meetings always happened. They look for some sense of stability, I think, from their uh, professional association. So it's, so, so it's an inter- interesting time where, you know, there's a need for an expanded uh, view, and yet um, uh, the member need um, may be clouded by that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, probably another issue, and I'm sure you've experienced this, is, uh, like you said, it's interesting times. There is so much mm-hmm. going on right now. There, there, there are so many, uh, you know, shiny objects out there, uh, new theories, right. new, new trends. Um, I mean, what do you see out there in terms of potentially, you know, bad influences or, or you know, bad advice that's floating around right now that are, you know, potentially distracting people more than helping them out when it comes to pursuing learning in the way that they probably should as organizations? So that's a really interesting question and, and insight. Um, I hear a number of my colleagues, and I, and I think um, to some extent we were guilty of that here as well, um, pursuing things like technology support, um, whether that's through an online learning system, learning management system, or other um, you know, creative ways with apps and so on and so forth. And, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a tendency to pursue the technology because it's, to your point, shiny and new, uh, without really evaluating what the learning needs are and how that's going to be fully utilized. I, you know, our organization implemented a learning management system about a year and a half ago, and I continue to get questions about, so how's it working, you know, what you know, what have we done recently with it? And it's like, well, that's not really the question. The question <laughs> should be, uh, you know, what what new learning opportunities are we um, are we developing and able to deploy? So, so that focus on the technology, I think, in some ways, is a distraction. And uh, I think folks may have some unrealistic expectations about what simply having the platform will do for them. Yeah, and it's so amazing. the platform without a strategy yeah. is really yeah. kind of useless. So yeah, yeah, and it's amazing once you get staff and board and volunteers and everybody pitching in their two cents on what a technology right. platform is supposed to do. You uh, <laughs> often, mm-hmm. often end up with uh, with quite a mess. Um, well, on yeah. the flip side of that, I mean, 
you know, some of these things are distractions. Um, but on the other hand, they, you know, there are things out there, whether it's technology or otherwise, it represents yeah. some pretty tremendous opportunities right now. I mean, what, what has right. you most excited about, you know, whether it's a trend or just what's going on in, in the world of learning right now, when you, you know, think about the possibilities and the opportunities, what, what really gets you jazzed up right now? Well, I think um, the, the, the area that we're exploring, and we've done uh, an initial program in this area that we're going to uh, replicate. It's like if it works, let's beat it to death. But um, we introduced, and this is through no fault of my own, trust me, um, but we introduced a program called Question of the Week where dermatologists get a, an image, um, and this is an opt-in program. They get an image presented to them with a choice of um, responses. Uh, they get immediate feedback on whether their choice was correct or not. Um, and so to me, it's an evidence of, of, of real, you know, sort of just-in-time learning. It's very quick. It's very accessible. Um, we've had over 5,000 members opt in uh, for this program, and we're processing over 20, between 2,500 and 3,000 um, uh, claims a week uh, wow. for credit for those programs, which is Amazing, yeah. given the, the the volume of um, opportunities that that they have to learn, and what it's suggesting to us is that there's real value in that um, uh, you know sort of quick, accessible, bite-sized self-assessment, um, and um, uh, just a really different kind of learning opportunity. So, so we're pretty excited about that. We're looking at some things that may be more case study based. That would be again smaller bites, but um, uh, sort of quickly uh, accessible and um, uh, looking at other opportunities to really begin leveraging, uh, leveraging content. So I think the, you know, the goal here is, um, you know, we, we have the platform, let's um, find unique ways uh, to make it work um, and continually evaluate. One of the things that we did that's not worked out particularly well is developing unique apps um, based on our clinical practice guidelines. Um, and, you know, folks just aren't using it. Hmm. I mean, it looks cool. They're pretty, you know, they're kind of slick and um, uh, sounds great to say we <laughs> have apps in all these areas, but nobody's using them. So, you know, we, we try and then let's redirect um, yeah. and see if there's a different way to do that. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think, yeah. uh, both the um, small is beautiful uh, trend and, and apps are going to be things that uh, yeah. people are wrestling with for, for years to come now and, and figuring out how to really get that right, uh, right. definitely. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe switching gears just a, a little bit as we kind of head down the, the home stretch. Um, I mean, you're obviously in a, in a significant leadership role there. And um, you know, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, we've known each other for a while. So I, I've always known you as right. a, a leader, as, as somebody who thinks of herself that way. Thank you. I'd be interested to know. I mean, you you strike me as somebody who's probably tried to develop that. Um, So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, who have you been inspired by or or particularly who have you particularly admired as you've tried to develop your own leadership capabilities? You know, I... um uh, you'd given me a sneak preview of the question, and I thought about that. Is there any one person? I, I think it's more leadership traits that I've um, uh, resonated with over the years that I've really tried to emulate. And, and the first attribute that comes to mind is really humility. Um, and, and I think out of humility comes that curiosity of 
you know, what, what is it? What can be better? How can I learn? Where can I adapt? And, you know, I'm kind of a junkie for, um, uh, for, uh, programs and opportunities to really assess leadership styles and understand areas that I can, uh, do a better job in. And, you know, I have to say those that I've been privileged to, um, lead with, um, and, uh, and lead over the years have probably been my greatest inspiration and where mm-hmm. I've found, um, you know, really the, the, the kinds of things that work well, uh, and the things that don't. Um, and, uh, most of those have to do with my approach, not necessarily, <laughs> uh, others' abilities, but, um, uh, and, you know, and, and now I will say that, that in terms of, of, of writers, I, um, uh, I really like Jim Collins' work that talks about, uh, you know, the, 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 the kinds of leaders that are mm-hmm. uh, required for, um, you know, for high-performing companies that um, uh, that really resonated with me. Yeah, that, that level, uh, level five leadership, I think right. he calls it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's aspirational. Yeah. No, he's a, <laughs> and on any given day, right? <laughs> right, right. So he's he's a good one to read for anybody who has it, and reread for that matter. He's, he's a good right, one to go back right. to. He's got staying power. Power. Um, yeah. So you just kind of hinted at it a little bit that you're kind of a you know a, a junkie as you put it for um, you know looking at assessments and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. What else in, in terms of your your own lifelong learning habits? Uh, we we always like to ask people that on on this podcast. This being the, mm-hmm. the leading learning podcast. What, what do you do for your own lifelong learning? So um, a couple of things. I, um, I I'm kind of a Harvard Business Review junkie, um, and and part of the reason for that is I think it's important for uh, for me to look outside my own space. So you know, and I get a lot of um, you know good ideas and information from the association world, and certainly from my colleagues on the uh, medical specialty societies group. But I think it's important for me to look outside uh, to what. What um, uh, folks are doing in other arenas—it's you know—it's it's not an isolation, um, one size fits all for sure. So uh, that's been um, uh, that's been kind of my bent. And I also look for opportunities. Um, and and this is a shameless plug for your <laughs> for the conference, the leading learning uh, uh, conference. But we're, f- we're fully it, open to shameless plugs here. Go, okay, go. fine. <laughs> um, I thought you might be. Um, the value that I got out of that uh, when I attended was, uh, while there were certainly association folks there, there were lots of different um, uh, different entities and uh, uh, different types of, of organizations involved. And I find that really valuable to, again, get out of our own space and, um, you know, to, and to think differently. And I'm always eager to look for those uh, opportunities, either, you know, courses, conferences, reading, uh, that have to do with strategy and how strategy, uh, evolves and, and develops and, uh, you know, any, any models that we can, that we can draw from. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So just to, to wrap up here, um, you know, appreciate your taking the, the time to talk today. My pleasure. Can you let people know, uh, you know, how they can find the Academy and, and also, you know, to the extent that you're open to it, if there's a, a good way for them to sure. connect with you with any questions they might have? Absolutely. Um, so our website is aad.org, uh, and um, uh, that's uh, the, the association's uh, website. Uh, my 
personal email is dsimmons at aad.org, and I'd be happy to uh, follow up with anyone. Well, great. Well, Diane, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. It's always a pleasure. That wraps up our interview with Diane Simmons. As we're exiting, we'll mention our fall event, the Leading Learning Symposium, one more time. You can get information about that at symposium.leadinglearning.com. And thanks once again to Com Partners for sponsoring this podcast episode. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com. And while you're there, uh, we'll hope you'll also take advantage of one of the options for subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or another podcatcher of your preference. We would be grateful if you'd take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate if you would do that because it does make it much easier for others to find the podcast. And finally, we hope you'll consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com forward slash share. Or if you're not into tweeting, you can just pick another social network and put it in words of your own and get it out there to your audience and tell them all about how great the podcast is. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.